ready? So come on, baby. Welcome to Popcorn Martini Suits, movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And this time feels especially soup-like because um, (laughs) it is December, it is warm and cozy. We are leaning into what might be like the ultimate in comfort movies. Yep. Um, It felt like the time of year that we needed to revisit The Lord of the Rings. And so we are doing big double episode guestapalooza for the Lord of the Rings. Definitely soup energy. I mean, I feel like we say this in every single opening of an episode, but that's what we're called and we're on theme, right? And like totally comfort energy, Lord of the Rings, something we wanted to talk about for a really long time. But actually the guests, the special, special guests that we have today who are, are also like, to us, I feel like there are celebrities are like, super exciting like like actors that we would want to have as guests but this is a big get in our personal world yeah a hundred percent yeah but then there are people like listeners who's like who are these people but they're lost you know they're lost um but they are our lovely friends and co-workers we had like a work summer party we had a couple drinks and naturally we went into like lord of the rings conversation and we were like we have to have these experts on the podcast when we talk about Lord of the Rings, right? Of course. We couldn't not include these two when we were thinking about this, like, powering franchise. It just, I mean, if it comes up at a summer party, you know that, like, those are your people because that is not usually the venue where Lord of the Rings is, like, natural conversation. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, we just knew. It made sense. Um, So we're we're just going to get right into it. I mean, they're both just, like, making making exciting faces and noises already in Zoom as we speak. (laughs) Let's skip all of this intro stuff. Let's get right into it. I'm so excited. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, to kick us off, we should introduce um, our wonderful guests. I would love to hear from both of you, Anais and Dan. Um, Tell us a little bit about your history with Lord of the Rings. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you engage with it now as an adult. Was it part of your childhood? Uh, Anais, why don't you start? Okay. Um, so I'm Anais. I'm a coworker of Jess and Anna's. Um, I watched Lord of the Rings for the first time at the age of nine. I have a distinct memory because um, I was in my stepdad's house and I had to go to bed before the Kraken came out um, mm. because my mom knew that if I saw that scene, I would not sleep. Um <laughs> True, true. And since the age of nine, so for about 20 years, I have watched as many movies as were out because it took a bit for them all to come out Um, every year, probably multiple times a year because I just love them so much. I was such a fan as a kid. I still am. But to the degree that uh, we had a Trivial Pursuit Lord of the Rings game and I beat my parents consistently to the point that they stopped playing with me Uh, (laughs) um that is my claim to lord of the rings expertise i've only read fellowship of the ring i haven't read uh two towers or return of the king so you know true tolkien fans would probably take issue with um the title of expert but as far as the movies go i don't know pretty well versed i love it you know fellowship really really well (laughs) yeah well no actually (laughs) i know return of the king the best because i own the extended edition on dvd Mm -hmm. to this day um nice you know 10 years provinces and many homes moved 
kept that with me. So that's the one I know the best. Anyway, Dan, how about you? Over to me. I'm Dan. I'm also a colleague of Anna and Jess uh, and Anais. And yeah, my memory of Lord of the Rings goes back quite a bit. I, I remember, of course, like so many people first hearing about it, you know, when the movie first came out and seeing the trailer for it. I have a distinct memory of being in the theater for who knows what I was going to see, but seeing the, th- the trailer for The Fellowship and just, you know, nine or 10 year old me just thinking, what on earth is this? Uh, I must see this. Um, but it kind of extends further back where I know my dad would used to read me the Hobbit when I was growing up um, as a bedtime story. Uh, and then that sort of developed into he also played me the audio tapes um, of the Lord of the Rings. And so I have a very distinct memory of that. And I still sort of find myself reading the books and listening to the audiobook and um, just listening to the soundtrack over and over and over again. Howard Shore has been a, a constant fixture on my Spotify best of lists. Nice. Rep to, to Howard Shore. But yeah, it's just it's it's um it's just this beautiful series um that's always sort of held a lot of meaning in my life, whether as a child or as an adult. And I, I'm so thrilled to be here talking about it. So thanks for having me. Thank you both for being here. I really love that. I will say there is no uh Lord of the Rings expert gatekeeping happening. Um no. you are both experts in our eyes, and that's all that matters because this is our podcast. So Yeah, um, I know that we have like a lot to get through. And when we say when we're talking about Lord of the Rings, um, can I talk a little bit about just how we're going to make this into a two parter? Because we have way too much to talk about. Yeah, Yeah. like um, so we're going to start with the first two movies and then go from there, see how it goes. Um, So I I really want to get into it. But Jess, I'm curious about like your intro into Lord of the Rings. Um, Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean... I feel like I came to Lord of the Rings a little bit later than a lot of people did. Um, I was definitely a reader when I was a kid and um, I read The Hobbit, but I never actually got into like the Lord of the Rings books because I was just moving on from book series to book series so quickly that, you know, I wasn't immediately jumping into them. So I like passed right by them. Um, And then when the movies came out, I feel like I didn't clock them at first. I was kind of caught up in um, books so much more than movies at that age. And when I got into like fantasy franchises, the first one that I really got into was Harry Potter um, because I was the perfect age for that one. And um, that kind of, it lends itself a little bit to like the crossover. And like, if you like this, you'll probably like this. But for some reason, I just like missed them for a while. And then when I finally did sit down and watch them, I think it was like, I don't know, somebody in my life was like, I can't believe you haven't seen these all the way through because I had only seen like bits and pieces. And I was like, well, I liked what I saw, but I'm not going to sit down and watch three hours of a movie at once. This was, you know, before I every movie was three hours and this is just what we did with our lives. And so they finally like talked me into it and I was kicking myself because I was like, how did I miss this for so long? And I sat down and watched them all. And then I sat down and watched all the extended editions. And I was like, well, okay, this is it. I'm in. 100% 100% in. Um, so even though it was later, it was um, with a full heart that I just jumped right in there. So what about you? Um, for me, I think I was a little bit, I think I was around the same age as NAS as well, like nine or 10 years old, maybe when I was first introduced to, to the films. But before that, I don't know, my mom finds 
just weird, creepy animation stuff to for me to watch, like when I was little. And one of that was The Hobbit, like the 1977 animation, mm. The Hobbit. If anyone's ever seen it, have you seen it, Dan? I've heard of this. Okay. I've never seen this, but I've heard of okay. it. Okay, it is creepy. It is, I don't know how I got through it, but I did. Um, and I was really, like, I latched onto it. There was something about it that I just felt really home even though it was creepy there was something very homey about it as well and i think like i've talked about this in past podcast uh, episodes as well about just like something that felt really like folky and like earthy I, I, I don't know, that combination, I guess, was I was so drawn to it, just being a huge fan of like Ghibli as well as a kid. So anything like nature and spirits and stuff. So that was kind mm-hmm. of my intro with the animation. And then when the films came out, I already had that kind of context and I was like immediately hooked. Um, I was terrified as well, but... Um, I remember like back when we used to rent, you know, go to like DVD stores and stuff and rent it. Like this was one of the rentals I had and I watched it with my aunt and uncle. Um, and it was, I had, I loved it. It's so, it's so good. I always love with Lord of the Rings, how people find it in very different ways where obviously there's a, a lot of people who found it with the movies, which I know we're talking about today, but, um, the animated stuff, the audio books, um, or the books themselves, of course, it's just, it's, there's so many entry points. And I think anyone who hasn't seen these movies will at one point in their life hear from someone, I can't believe you haven't seen these movies, <laughs> and try to be converted. It's like a cult. It is like a cult, yeah. but it's like the most wholesome cult. It's a wonderful cult. I should have known that we would have turned into cult <laughs> peddlers on this show. That yeah. was the only trajectory for us. Yeah. Wait, so Dan, you you read all the books. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while since I've read all the books. I, I try to read The Hobbit once a year because it's just such a, a palatable read and it's it's just so comforting and particularly around like Christmas and the holidays. It's just mm-hmm. such a, I know we've talked a bit about it, but it's such a, yeah, it's such a warm and cozy um, world to be in. And especially with the Hobbit, it's just such a, a, a cozy piece of work. So, uh, but the Lord of the Rings I have read, it's just, it's been a little while, admittedly. I go back to the movies more often yeah. than the books. No, that's fair. Who here, who here has read the all the books before? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> <A lot> of- <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of sound. I mean, I've, so as I said, I've read Fellowship of the Ring. It took me, I think, 15 years to read <laughs> that book. Because I first started it, I guess I was around like 12 or something, and I just could never get past Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. I know that's not in the movies, and rightfully so, in my opinion. I just could not get out of the fucking Shire. I couldn't do it. Because it was just like so much, I was waiting for the action. I was waiting for the wonder. And the Shire is like, when you look back on it after, I mean, from a movie perspective, because I haven't made it to Return of the King, the book. But when you look back on those early moments in the movie from the perspective of Return of the King, you're like, oh, it's so nostalgic. It's so cozy. It's so wholesome. It's like perfect in everything that it is. But when you're just waiting for, like, to meet Aragorn, you know, you're like, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> so it took me, well, I'm sure I'll talk a lot about Aragorn tonight. Oh, yeah. So be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it took me, like, 15 years to get past that part of the book. And then the funny thing is that as soon as I got past that part, I was like, whoa, this moves. Um, like, there was, like, so much going on and so much to be fascinated by as a movie viewer um, by that first book. And then... You know, I finished that and I was like, okay, two towers, it's time. 
and you know got like 15 pages in and then had to read something for work or had to (laughs) put it down for whatever reason and I that was like two years ago and I haven't picked it up so (laughs) I have read The Hobbit though yeah The Hobbit is just like such a warm and cozy book and I think actually I mean Dan earlier you mentioned Howard Shore I think part of what has like infused the Shire in particular for me since becoming a, like a watcher of the movies is Howard Shore's score um, and specifically like the score for the Shire. And I feel like if you can hold on to that, like that makes the Shire feel so much more like whimsical and magical and homey. Um, that like whistle tone at the beginning that then becomes this like oh, yeah. transforms into this like much more sweeping with like the yeah. strings and the horns. And I kind of I want to try to sit through that like whole Tom Bombadil section and like just hold that music in my brain and hope that like that's enough to get me through to then move into the actual action but the Tom Bombadil stuff it is a bit of a head scratcher you kind of get through it when you read the books and you kind of have to put it down and go what on earth was that um who was that guy uh, and then you never hear from him again very bizarre I was just gonna say I I won't lie I skipped a lot of his songs because a lot of his his part of his is just a song which is like a lot of that's a lot of page real estate you know just like a couple Mm. lines so I was like Mm -hmm. okay let's just I skimmed I'm a bad reader don't tell our bosses it's it's (laughs) one of the funny things about Tolkien in general especially the Hobbit where he has all there's a lot of sing song in it right and it's like they're, they're fully written songs and I I think Many readers would probably be lying if they said they sat and read read through all of the songs. Yeah. And it's pretty easy to skip over sometimes. I mean, from from that perspective, like, I mean, you both have read the first one. Like, do you feel like the film does justice to the pages, the the books? I thought so. I so okay. I watched the movie first, then I read the book, and I read the book in adulthood. So I think like that would probably. If someone had done that differently, that order, or had done those things at different times in their lives, like, they might have a different opinion, and I can respect that. I think, like, there was the the movie, there were, there were details in the book that just had to be edited for cinematic mm. impact. Like, uh, I don't want to, like, spoil things for people still. <laughs> 20 years later. These books and movies have been out for forever. But, like... So in the book, Aragorn just has the sword the whole time. Whereas, like, we'll talk about this later, but, like, the sword reveal is a big deal. Like, that's a big Mm. moment, right? And so I was just reading the book, and I was like, oh, well, he's got it already. Okay, like, never mind. But (laughs) throw that whole section away. Yeah, but, like, that's, like, an example of, I think, um, something that held a lot of gravitas in the book's that was executed not faithfully, but I think in like the spirit of the trilogy, like it was like, I think like there's a lot of attention paid to who you are, what you do, like who you come from and your like role in the world. And so I think making that throwaway thing in the book, a like, you know, meaningful moment in the movie was a really good call on Peter Jackson's part. And I think I'm, there are other parts of the movies that I'm sure he did the same thing with. I just can't think of them right now. Um, I, I, yeah. You go, Dan. I was just going to say, I totally, I totally, and I think it's difficult with a, a series like this. And I think people who perhaps read the books before the movies um, or those who are just really passionate about so many different film series like these where 
there's always that conversation. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot um, about uh, adaption or adaptation rather, and, and where, you know how you go about that in a way that's true to the book and the author and the work, um, but also enough that you have you have to translate it to a different medium, and it not doesn't always translate perfectly as is. But I think Peter Jackson did a remarkable job. I mean, I know we're talking about Fellowship and Two Towers today, but I think through the whole trilogy in adapting those three books in a way that really strongly, um, yeah, it, it works really perfectly on screen in many ways. And of course, there are omissions, or even even in the sort of the the general characters and their motivations. Like I can think of Aragorn, of course, too, where I know in the movies, he's more of a, uh, a reluctant king, or he's, you know, has these uncertainties or sort of, uh, you know, um, um, he's not sure about uh, his role to be king of Gondor. But in the books, it's he's quite more confident, I think, in, in that prospect. But it just translates so well. And I think it's done really tastefully. And I, I think you have these two very distinct um, versions of the story. I think the movies also made these this story so much more accessible like there are so many different kind of points of entry to the movies like do you like sort of like historical fantasy movies cool this is for you do you like you know like really like um character focused friendship focused journey focused stories cool this is also for you like I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot in the spirit of the books from what I can tell that Peter Jackson really distilled and sort of like made sure that anyone could come to it, which I think is part of the magic of the movies. Yeah, there, there is a sense, I think, that the books can be very intimidating, especially when you think about all of the related works that Tolkien wrote and the whole sort of idea of getting into like the canon of Lord of the Rings can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but you're right. I think that coming into them from this very accessible, very friendly movie is just like a sense of inspiration to want to learn more about everything else that's going on around them because you can tell in the world that he's built that you are seeing this like section of it you are seeing this journey and this fellowship and there is so much more that is happening in the world around them that you only get these little glimpses at um that I think can inspire you if you're like okay yeah I'm really into this I can go learn about this from all of Tolkien's other works but it also stands alone as this like really beautiful piece of like friendship and art can I ask a question for the group yeah. When everyone's first saw the movies, um, I'm always curious when people um, have seen these movies, which character did you sort of most gravitate towards at that time? And has that changed since, you know, in the many rewatches we've probably all had? Anna, do you want to go first? Picking one character is so hard. And like, I feel like this is a cheating answer. But throughout the whole thing, from honestly, from the start too, we, even though we don't meet these characters right away, but like Aragorn and like, Gimli and um, Legolas. Legolas. <laughs> I was like, Erwin? Like, no, that is not who it is. <laughs> and it's a Lord of the Rings podcast. I know, like, I know. I can't, I can't with names. Dude. <laughs> um, the trio mm. is like just one. I mean, that in itself just feels like one character in a sense that you're like rooting for, you're following. It grows so much. And like from the start with the different like dynamics that they all have, but they're my favorite. And like, I think I always gravitated towards their kind of stories, um, even in my initial watch. But it's like grown so much over like every single watch. And like now at this point, um, I, I skipped those moments, <laughs> like skip all the other moments and like go to their scenes because it's just so wholesome and I love their dynamic so much. So I feel I feel like I kind of cheated on like picking one person because I I can't 
but how about you guys? I mean, I'm glad that you said it first because I feel like exactly the same way. That trio, there is something so endearing about all of them individually and then like the way they come together and like are kind of reluctant friends, especially when you're looking at Legolas and Gimli, like their comp- competitiveness, but also like deep trust that they build over the course of the series is so sweet. Um, yeah, I, I've loved the, them since the beginning. And I am probably telling on myself a little bit when I admit that I was absolutely an Aragorn girly from the start. Um, I'll see you, Ennies. <laughs> um, but I, I do want to say that in more recent watches, um, I have come to appreciate the unwavering stone of friendship that is Samwise Gamgee. What an absolute hero. Like, truly, probably, like, the best friend, the best person, the only reason that they all succeeded. Yeah, absolute heart of the movie. Yeah. I have, I so, Dan, I don't know if you did this, but I did rewatch the trilogy in preparation for this podcast. <laughs> um, and so I just finished Return of the King last night. I know we're going to get to that later. But I, so I have feelings about Sam. I have, I have a lot of feelings about Sam. I agree the whole thing could not have been pulled off without him. He is the backbone. But I think my opinion of him really changes a lot over the course of the trilogy. Mm. That's that's what I'll say about Sam. But I have to really agree with you, Jess. Aragorn <laughs> was the one that I really gravitated to from the get-go. And I will also say, like, okay, the trio, so much love for the trio um, as well. But I think little, like, pre, not even, like pre-preteen me was also very intrigued by Arwen because mm. she's this like beautiful ethereal character and like obviously I think was marketed as like the sex symbol of the franchise because like you gotta have one in the early 2000s late 90s to make something work and so I think I was really drawn to her as like a oh that's interesting maybe I want to be that when I grow up Totally. Just an elf, Just an elf in a mythical, yeah. mythical trilogy. You know, as, as one. Achievable. Yeah, super realistic. But, and I think it was like Arwen and Aragorn's relationship was also really intriguing to me. I was like, whoa, this is like so powerful. And that really had a huge impression on me at that age. So it was like the trilogy, but mostly Aragorn, but then also Arwen. Yeah, I love it. I had the... the- the like nine ten year old uh, version of Aragorn, I think, was Legolas, where he's like this smooth, slick, arrow firing elf, who is just the just yeah. the coolest, right? Like just so sleek. Yeah. Like that's that's the guy for me. Um, but I, like through more rewatches and just and you know as I appreciate it more and more, I think Gandalf's such a fascinating character to me, and I think the way Sir Ian McKellen plays that role is just it's it, first off, it's just incredible. But I always love those kinds of characters in movies, sort of the, the guides, um, for lack of better words, like the kind of the ones who provide that kind of sage wisdom and guidance. Um, and he just plays that role so well. Um, and there's just so much to that character that, like, I think when I was first exposed to Lord of the Rings, I think he was kind of one of the characters that really tipped me to learning more and wanting to know more about this kind of world in general and who this guy was. Were there other wizards, you know, all that sort of stuff. But even more recently, I think I think more often than not about like Boromir, who I think is such an interesting character too, being like the most literally and figuratively the most human of the 
of especially the fellowship i mean the only movie he's in um but this really flawed character but especially if you watch the extended cut you see he's not all bad like he he has his heart in the right place and um he's flawed like we all are and there's something um really wonderful about that um even though we know we see perhaps a a not great side of him yeah also like the redemption that he gets at the end of the movie as he's dying with aragorn that is like I remember as a kid, there's so much that I watched as a kid being like, okay, like, let's get to the action. Come on. But then there's so much that I rewatch as an adult to say, like, and and think, this is the most beautiful scene when Aragorn goes up to Boromir when he's dying and is like, we're brothers. This is, we're in this together and I will protect our people. That's like, I, there's so many moments in this trilogy where, that get me so misty eyed and make me want to cry, but that is like one of the ones in Fellowship in particular. It's I couldn't so agree more. powerful. I there, there are so many moments in these movies that I stop, especially as I'm trying to make my wife watch it again and again and again. I go, this is the most beautiful moment. Uh, and I go over and over again. But that one's, that one's such a beautiful moment for this character that up to that point, we've really seen as a kind of an arrogant you know, son of Gondor, and he has this, as you said, this real redemption arc. It's, it's beautiful. That's such a good point about Boromir. Like, I think as a kid, I was getting, like, secondhand embarrassment of how he was acting. And, like, and mm. I think, like you said, Dan, like, it's because he's so human. And there's probably parts of him that, like, I saw in humans, in myself, and, in like, this kind of greediness and, like, this I-know-it-all kind of energy in some sort of capacity. We've, we all kind of carry pieces of that. And so, like, I think as a kid, even though I wasn't necessarily, like, fully understanding this story arc and this, like, depth of this character, I was still kind of feeling that kind of connection, this human connection there. And I was like, oh, I don't, even now I feel that way. I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to see him like this. I don't want to, you know, but there's, there's a lot of like grittiness. That's also really beautiful about, about his like story arc. And like, yeah, it's so true. There's a lot of layers there, especially with his relationship with his brother Faramir. And you kind of see more of that in extended edition. Like there's a lot to it. And it's, he's such a fascinating character to sort of think more about. Well, Speaking of, I mean, actually, going back, Annie, to your point about Erwin, um, I was actually really curious about everyone's just, like, you know, favorite moments specifically on the first movie. Um, I want to, I'm curious about, like, every single movie, but let's start with the first one. Um, and I I wanted to start with just, like, the moment um, when you brought up Erwin, when she goes, like, horseback with, like, uh, Frodo and she stops the river. Like, that was the moment when, Anise, when you were talking about, oh, I want to be that person as, like, a nine-year-old. Like, that was the moment that Mm -hmm. was just, like, so cool and beautiful and attractive and just, like, powerful. So that was my favorite moment, but curious to know what everyone's moment was from the the first one. I'll I'll jump in. My favorite from the first movie, without doubt, is though it's hard to pick, would probably have to be just the whole sequence in Moria when, I mean, when Gandalf uh, fights the Balrog is just the most epic, incredible scene that I find myself more often than I'd like to admit just watching on YouTube. Like it just sort of, it pops into my (laughs) mind and I'm I'm like, oh, here we are again. But I think it's just, it's such a, a juxtaposition to like the pastoral landscape in the Shire we see in the earlier moments of the film. And suddenly you're like in the depths of this mine and there's this, demon of the ancient world and Gandalf fighting on this bridge and it's just that moment where you kind of have to stop yourself from like this is just this is a huge huge universe and world that we're in 
There's so much to it. And it's like so many great villains in some movies. You only see the Balrog for, it's like not too long before he's gone and that's it. You're kind of wanting more. And of course, the heartbreak of, of Gandalf's end there as well. And Gandalf looms so large over the whole first movie, I think, because he is kind of your introduction into it and then your guide along the way, as you were saying earlier, as like the guide figure. And then if if especially if this is like this watching this first movie is your first entry into this world, to feel like you have lost this hugely important figure so quickly is very kind of disarming, I think. It totally it totally is. And I think it's like it's it's the last moment that the fellowship is all together. So it's really the 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 beginning of the breaking of the fellowship where things begin to fragment and you i remember uh, watching there's this great video on youtube um from i, I think it's the channel Nerdwriter, where he talks about the soundtrack and how there's that fellowship motif that runs through the films in general and this is sort of the moment where you have it in full force as they're running through the mines and then when gandalf falls like it the slowly instrumentation starts to draw back. It starts to get much more thinner. But it really is sort of a climax for the fellowship as we know it um, before things start to take a turn. And I will say also that like visually, that scene holds up remarkably well for having been filmed in like 2000 or whatever. Like it still looks so they good. They hold up. And like the VFX and everything. Like, can I... this <laughs> The same year as when Spy Kids came out, just saying. Like just to give <laughs> you a sense, you know, of like what kind of... <laughs> So the bar is Spy Kids. <laughs> That's the bar. <laughs> Two visually very different experiences. Yeah, it's hard to choose a favorite scene from this movie. I also feel like for me, some of the like most impactful moments happen in the second two movies. And this movie is like, um, there are less like highs and lows for me, but it's just like a really strong opener. So it's almost hard to pick a scene in that way because it's like a preamble. The whole thing is a preamble basically. But I definitely think the Arwen moment as when she's speaking Elvish come on. Love it. I <laughs> I, I quote this trilogy like a stupid amount. I've been like withholding quotes even in this time that we've been talking because I don't want to just like, you know, blast it out there. Um, but one that I wish that I could really quote, I wish real hard I could quote it, is Arwen speaking Elvish in that moment. And then, like, the horses in the water are just uninspired. I love that. I also just love, like, the introduction, the slow introduction to Gandalf and Frodo at the very beginning of the film is just so, like, it's like a warm hug. It's so wholesome and beautiful. And then, but also like another contender is, yeah, when Boromir dies, like that whole fight. Also when like Aragorn kind of walks out after he tells Frodo to run and he like walks, turns the corner and, the, and it's slow-mo also. And all these Urukai are just there and he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to take out my sword now and I'm just going to like single-handedly <laughs> whoop your asses. So good. Beautiful slow motion work. He has a couple moments like that in this movie. I like specifically noted down because I also rewatched the movies and like took notes. And I was like, when Aragorn takes on the five Nazgul at once and just is like lighting them all on fire. That was my imitation of oh my throwing God. the flame into the face of one of the Unbelievable. Uh, ring wraiths. <laughs> what a moment. <laughs> Apparently that's, that was his first day on set was that scene. Um, really? Or so I heard. I can only imagine oh watching him do that. Like, what can't Vigo do? What awesome. a glorious man! I'm um, and I use you talk about the quotable parts that actually just got me thinking too. Are there any? Just we'll at least talk the fellowship, which for everyone here, are there any quotable bits? Quotable bits you find you quote more often than not? Well, you shall not pass. Yeah, it's a good one. That's a classic. That's a classic. Classic. I feel like most of my quotables are from the second two movies. Yeah. But I'm, let me someone else go and I'll think. I mean, I feel like I'm not a huge 
movie quoter, mostly because they never come to me in the moment. And then I think of it later and I'm like, wow, that would have been a perfect opportunity. But I as I was rewatching it, I realized that I had forgotten just how many of the like classic Lord of the Rings memes come from the first movie. (laughs) One does not simply. (laughs) Yes. And the like things that have been things that whatever, like the Kate Blanchett moment where she's like, and things that are yet to be like all of these moments just happened in the first movie and i'm like how did you fit this many memes it's kind of amazing because it's like the the movies whether you're a fan of it or not or like you've watched it lots or whatever what have you um they've kind of leaked into the internet in a way like through these memes and quotes that like even if you don't you might even know where it comes from but you might be quoting lord of the rings i love uh when sam's um sam and frodo are leaving the shire and sam stops and goes this is it one more stake i i quote that yeah. all the time oh my kendra god and I, my wife kendra and i are on vacation i'll stop randomly in the street and then i go this is it one more step <laughs> <laughs> the farthest from home i've ever been and she keeps walking what? i was gonna say how long did she like stop and pay attention for like how many times did you have to do it for her to like buy in oh buy. i don't think she's bought it okay <laughs> so i'm still waiting still working on it i also love the like I ain't been dropping no eaves, sir. This sounds sharp. Because it's like such a like honest thing to say and such a like misunderstanding of the words, but it's like he's so panicked, it's so cute. Anyway. Poor Sam, if he had just not been there, he would have saved himself so much headache. Well, yeah, yeah. but then no one would have it would have been Sauron's world and we we're just living in it, you know? <laughs> Thank goodness he was there. Yes. Does anyone have like cringy like I mean not that any of these movies really have like a bad moment because there really isn't but it could be like when you first saw it or as a kid or looking back at it like do you have moments that you're like ooh, this is this was not as great that's a good question I'm trying to think I think there's moments where I'm like why did you like moments of the story that make me uncomfortable to watch Mm. like why did you do that or like even moments in the movie where now I'm like okay like this is a part that I don't enjoy I'm ready to skip it or something like um like almost all of Weathertop like as badass as Aragorn is like when the hobbits are lighting the fire and Frodo wakes up and he's like what are you doing that moment I'm like fucking idiots um (laughs) and I mean it's also just like maybe this is a hot take you guys but the moments between Uh Frodo Sam and Gollum thinking specifically of the second and third ones are so hard for me to watch because it's like so rife with conflict and they're just suffering so much and knowing what we know about Smeagol Gollum watching Sam interact with him especially and watching Mm. Frodo sort of descend into this like you know wasted version of himself I find very difficult to watch sometimes like to the point where I'm like okay like I get it I understand what's happening I understand what the characters are going through like we've been here we've done that I'm ready for the other parts because it's just so disheartening when you know the direction it's heading yeah and it's like well this is no matter how many times i watch this it's never gonna change so let's just (laughs) get to the conclusion (laughs) get it over with i I mean god god love him but pippin the amount of times he just ruins the fun for everyone um i think of course in moria when he uh you know sets off that ancient demon from the underworld um and when they're in the the tavern in brie and he's the one who goes yeah mr frodo or you know that guy over there um I think there's several other moments of the movies where he, you kind of have to, you're, you're, you have your head in your hands for this guy who just can't, can't seem to keep it together. 
And he, of course, has his, like, redemption, you know, later in the films, but... That has to be, like, babysat by Gandalf the whole way along, because... (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I have one. I actually do. I thought of a cringe. Anytime Frodo is injured, the sounds that man makes... Oh, it's so bad. It's, like, the whine... I'm not even going to imitate it, because I don't want (laughs) to... I don't want to record that. But, like, just this, all of the sounds he makes across all of the movies, it never gets better. It's just, like, that strangled whine that he does. It's so pitiful. And I'm like, you are just, how is it that you are meant to be the hero here? I don't understand. Don't get it. The re- Sorry to the, the reluctant heroes. <laughs> I agree. And the faces that go with the sounds. They're not good. They're not good, guys. Just think how many takes he had to do. During this filming of these movies, you probably had to make that sound so much you wouldn't even believe it. I bet. Being on that set and oh, like God. listening to it over and over and over. Poor Sean Astin. Poor Samwise. <laughs> does anyone, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun with this, but does anyone have like a favorite core moment from Two Towers? Because it feels like we haven't talked about that one as much. And I mm. have one, but I want to hear yours. Potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> King of Sam. (laughs) (laughs) For context, everyone, Anna sent me that gift today. Um, We were not talking about this during work hours for anyone listening. Absolutely not. Um, But she sent me that gift, and I responded back, you have no idea how much I say this on the regular. I say this all the time. Correct. So quotable. Core moment from the second film. My mind just immediately goes to Helm's Deep because it's just this perfect, like, 45-minute battle. Uh, Oh, Picking your favorite child. I mean, I love the Ents. There's something so beautiful about them. Um, and I love Mary and Pippin's interactions with them and the core role they play eventually. And I also love when Gandalf um, first, like we first come to Edoras with Gandalf and we have C- Theoden who is like under the spell of um, Saruman and Gandalf frees him out of that spell. And I remember watching that for the first time and thinking, this guy can do no wrong he is unbelievable which speaking of which the moment when gandalf comes back um as gandalf the white so i hadn't read the books before i saw these movies and so i didn't know that was gonna happen and i remember also being just totally floored also floored why he didn't know who he was he's like yeah they used to call me gandalf the gray and that was also confusing for me you really sometimes have to suspend your disbelief in this trilogy i feel like because there are things that i think were like tips to the book i also haven't read this book as i mentioned so like i can only imagine that that was like a tip to something that happens in the book. And as a kid, especially, you're just kind of like, I don't understand, but I'm going to roll with it. I'm just going to keep going. Wait, I actually have a cringy moment. You reminded me with like <laughs> Gandalf coming back. This is probably not cringy at all. I understand that it's like epic and beautiful and like amazing. I'm sure if you read the book, there's like a whole backstory epic moment. Like, you know, when Gandalf like um, calls on the horse, what, what's the whole horse called? It's like Shadow Lord Facts? of all horse. Yeah, yeah, Shadow yeah. Facts. But he's Lord like, of all horses. <laughs> Lord of all horses and just horse out of nowhere comes right in, like rolling in. Where, where did this incredible horse come from? Like, I, I don't know. I, I thought that that was just like a really funny moment for some reason to me. I was like, I, I understand. I get that it's like an epic moment, but like this beautiful horse is just like coming along and Gandalf always has it like on the f- yeah. tip of his fingers. Like, it always what? makes you think like, what? Like this guy has a lot of friends. Like how did, how did he meet the Lord of Horses? <laughs> what about the moths? Yeah, the, yes, the moths and how those call the... the um. Are they all just like on standby eagles? for Gandalf? Like 
waiting. It's one of those movies too where like you know you never stop to think like oh there's a Lord of Horses of course there is like you just you just accept it you're like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. of course it, yeah of course I'd be an idiot not to think there's a Lord of Horses in this movie of course there is and like Legolas's yeah. explanation he's like that's one of the mares and we're like yeah. what is that though that's no more information <laughs> but we're like okay Legolas you're an elf you know what you're talking about sure sure tell sure. me more <laughs> what are those but it's just one of those things too where like if you do want to. There are these names thrown out, but like it's one of the wonderful things about this world where if you Google like these horses, like one of the Mara, whatever they're called, you'll probably find like a Wikipedia page that extends so far um, that you could spend like your entire night just learning about these different horse lords, uh, whatever they are. I can't imagine how hard it must have been for Peter Jackson and his team to decide like what to include and what to leave out. And like, you know, that's why we have the extended editions is because even then, like as much as they cut down, it was still not enough. And you had to continue cutting down to get a theatrical version. Like there is so much lore and there is so much canon to choose from. And like what is important to everybody's understanding. And you have a casual moviegoer who is like not going to have this information going in. How does this still become a cohesive story to them like that it sounds like a nightmare to try to put this thing together and i'm so impressed how they did it so even when i'm left with some of those questions like a lord of all horses like are you going to give me any more information and they are like nope we're not I'm like okay you know what of all the things like i guess i can let this go so jess what's your favorite moment oh, that is really hard i feel like i have a few only because there is so much packed into two towers it's such a full movie that it's really hard to narrow down like just a couple of moments um obviously like visually there's that moment where aragorn aragorn is like pushing the doors open that's like that iconic yes yes aragorn moment and you're like we all collectively fell to our knees i too look um, exhausted pushing open doors at the, moon at the end of falling <laughs> off a cliff miraculously you know being alive and then going to fight off ten thousand Urukai. chill this guy exhausted yeah i do i do really enjoy Treebeard and and the ends especially like the ends at the end when they are just like waking everything down and flooding like it's it's just such a done well like visually you're just like watching these giant ass trees like flood this area and you're like wow this is not something that I ever would have imagined to happen but it looks so cool and I'm like so happy like you just feel like vindicated in that moment you're like yes you can't even describe the thoughts that when I was like they're so they're so noble and like innocent in the reasons for defending it's like I'm just here to protect others like me and I want them to have a home and it's like it almost feels like a statement on like environmentalism and deforestation and like the way that humans treat the earth except it's like wrapped up in this really badass like army of trees taking down evil and I kind of love that I thought that was really fun and then obviously I love like introducing Aomer and Eowyn just because of like all of the things that that brings as we move forward very much agree yeah my my the one that I was gonna say was Aragorn opening the doors at Helm's Deep because it's just like it's hot it's just hot (laughs) There's, Plain and simple. There's, that's the only way to say it. It's so hot. But I think like there are also a good amount of moments at Helm's Deep that I love, like when the elves come and the elf, the elvish music that Howard Shore did specifically mm, for them yeah. and for that movie. Specific, like it's not in the other two. I don't think that is such a powerful moment for me. And then like the 
speech that Theoden gives when they think that all hope is lost and they go to like ride out and they do and then Gandalf is at the top and then like you see Aomer he like rides into the frame holy shit it's just like all right in the feels and then they like go down that hill and you're like physically how is that possible though like that's too much of a vertical but you just say okay and and the Urukai are like we're done for it's such an epic crescendo to the second movie that you kind of forget there's a third movie coming. You're like, this must be the end of it. It's just the coolest thing ever. And there's a whole other movie, which is, which is, I mean. Well, and it ends at such a good point. It's like the Battle of Helm's Deep has been won or something. Yeah. The Battle of For Middle Earth yeah, yeah. is coming or something. Those, those are not the exact words, but that's just such a like, the scope then of what they're fighting, it gets brought into relief so quickly and so well because you're like, oh, I'm exhausted just watching that. And now they have to do this all over again with like a bigger, on a bigger scale. Like, holy shit. You feel such a sense of triumph, I think, by the end of that movie that, you know, you've seen all of these little pieces and all of these little battles and the hardship all along the way. And then it, you know, ends with this like massive collision and they come out on top and you feel so good. And then there's, yeah, there's that moment of, well, we won this battle. But remember, there's still a war on and you recontextualize like the scope of what is happening and how much bigger it is than like these little people that you see. And that it feels like a perfect setup for the final movie because it does sort of take you into this like huge scope in the end. But it's it's nice, I think, to have that moment of like, OK, we get to feel good for a minute here. We get to feel like. Something has been achieved and these people that we've been traveling with and like cheering on have really accomplished something before they go and get like struck down and pushed back again and again. I think it's this like perfect mix of hope because you can see you you've seen what they've like accomplished and you've like you've hoped for it and you've rooted for them and then they did it. And so you have all of this sort of like the sense of victory and the sense of hope for what's next, but also like a the perfect amount of doom added in to like keep you invested and worried and like willing to in like watch the next movie and like go with this these characters on this journey the the odds always feel so stacked against them at all moments where you think there's no way there's a a positive way forward from here and yet and of course of course there's losses along the way but it always seems like there's that sliver of hope that sort of um, wins out in the end through these battles and through these moments, which is just, it's it's beautiful in many ways. But I was just going to say earlier too, but talking about these, like this battle, this movie in particular, it reminds me how much is packed into these three films and how a lot of movies can try to pack in too much and it can feel like you are just kind of skating over surface details, but it feels still like there's so much is covered, but in such great depth and detail. It's incredible that you talking about it. You're like, that's, that's a lot for three movies. I um I don't know about you guys. I'm about to out myself. I I was the kind of kid who like, you know, when you rented DVDs and you watched the movie maybe once, maybe twice, but the rental period was not done yet, so you decided to watch the special features. I was that kid. And uh, I did that a lot with Lord of the Rings. The first and the third because I never owned the second for whatever reason. I don't know. My parents messed up. Um <laughs> but so I would watch the special features of the first and the third quite a bit and I mean because because they were shot kind of all at the same time you still got a lot of features for two towers but 
just the behind the scenes of the scope of what went into those movies. Like, as a kid, you're like, wow, that's impressive. But, like, the more that I watch them and the more that I remember from that background information, the more I realize what a production it was. Like, they had individual orc prosthetics and, like, individual props for each orc. And, like, they did, like, the miniatures for Helm Deep, Helm's Deep and, like, how they filmed it. It was just insane. So, like, when you think about, like, the scope of the story that's being told in the film, it's actually, like, one-tenth of the scope of what was done, which is just so crazy. And, like, who signed off on this? <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> I, I know. Who was like, sure, Peter, you go. I mean, I know that there's like... I have all the money in the world. Yeah. I love all, I love all the models. Like, learning how much of it was not CGI, but um, mm-hmm. film models, is, it's incredible. And those behind the scenes, honestly, also I find myself watching them on YouTube. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think I remember hearing... A, uh, I think this might be true. Fact check me, but that even for like Helm's Deep, where they needed a lot of extras, where they actually brought in fans of the movies who were there because they heard that the films were shooting and they were like we need extras come aboard so they brought in like non-actors just to get dressed up and and be in the movie i know that a lot of the like new zealand locals were also just like rounded up and they were like here we need people so get get in in there get in there i heard that for return of the king they ran out of men so there's a bunch of women that have beards on them mm-hmm. for the Rohirrim, yeah. which I thought is so. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But I mean, I think that that whole, like, all of that production is why they still look so good. It's why yeah. they stand out as you know this. This visually hasn't aged because so much of it was practical and not like kind of shoddy digital effects. Yeah. And Dan, you said at the beginning of this episode about just like talking about film adaptation. And I think this is like the ultimate adaptation mm-hmm. that anyone would want to get close to. Like anything close to this is is a win. And it's it's incredible how I think everything that every everyone just was like talking about just speaks to how much love there is to the original work, of course. And the question of how could you possibly eliminate certain details or pieces from the original only could be decided from the place of like love and just being a huge fan of the original story. So you know that eliminating something is actually respecting the bigger picture of what this is all about. And it's so rare to like find something like that. And I find with adaptation specifically with films, I, I can't think of like a specific example of this, but it's really interesting when filmmakers takes a book and they decide I'm going to go in a totally different direction because if I try to translate exactly how the book is, it's not going to land in the film format. So instead of translating exactly for, you know, the the experience or the essence of, of the book, I'm going to take that and make it into something that works in the cinematic sort of area um and I really appreciate that too because sometimes when you're a fan of the book you're like oh I I still see it I still can connect the dots and I appreciate you taking this different route and then there's so many movies out there where it tries to just do the identical thing of what's on the page and it's like no why did you do it that way it should not have been this way and it should not have been made 
So everything we've just been talking about, I think, is like so rare because all these different things need to align. Speaking of finance, speaking of like people that are passionate about it, people that are like a huge fan of the books and stuff. It's just like such a miraculous thing, I feel, for this to like come together in this way. Totally. I think it's Mm -hmm. it's so easy to like copy words from a page, copy descriptions, you know, like it's so easy to kind of do that faithful adaptation. But is it faithful if it's not? If whoever's doing it isn't like living and breathing the spirit of the thing, which it feels like Peter Jackson completely was from like everything that we see and feel when we watch the movies, but also everything we know about behind the scenes, how he did it. Everything feels so intentional. And I think that like that's what makes it feel real is because you're watching someone else's perception of something like what it means to them. You're not just sort of like watching words come to life because that doesn't necessarily mean anything unless you sort of translate it into like something emotional I don't know if that made sense but Mm, it does it makes me think a little bit um actually this is a little bit of a tangent but I feel like it's you know it's on topic with what we've been talking about um it makes me think of something like the princess bride which like not everybody has the emotional connection to but i read that book and watched the movie and they are so different like the book is very very different from the movie but the movie captures so much of the heart of the book like the book is also for that a little bit of a slog it's like a thicker volume it's not nearly as like fast paced but the movie just has so much of the heart of the book in it and while it's not on the scale of lord of the rings by any means i feel like it has some of that element to it where you're not just like taking this and trying to like transliterate it onto a screen you are pulling the essence out and finding the things that people connect with and making those things shine to bring people in and I'm curious if you guys have any other adaptations that really kind of speak to that I was actually thinking of one that you guys talked about on the pod not too long ago um it was the most recent Little Women because I think that that Mm. one just brought that story into Like it was still set at the time period that it's meant to be set in, but it brought it into such a modern time. It completely like these things that these women go through then are still relevant now, even if the time is completely different. And I just thought that it was like so beautifully done, even though the words weren't exactly the same, like the story was the same, but it was like I had seen the one with with Winona Ryder and this one like Greta Gerwig's was by far my favorite because I it just felt more real to me like closer Mm. to me in a way yeah I have another one for your consideration while you guys think (laughs) um call me by your name I really loved Mm. and I I read that book after I watched the movie to be fair so that was like the movie was sort of my bar, but reading the book, it was like, okay, I this is very beautiful. This is very atmospheric. I understand how like Luca got from that to this, but it was the realization of it that made more sense to me because it was very much one of those books that was like dealing with a lot of characters' internal thoughts. And so to watch it was a much different experience than to read about it. Love that movie. I think I've gushed about that movie to Jess many a time before in the past specifically but to that point like that and again this is not a call me by your name podcast but we could easily make it but but it it, there's a lot of moments in that movie where luke is not trying to fill the space with dialogue um of course like music might play sort of a bigger role there or just silence which i really like which i think is an interesting way to sort of meld the two so i know we can obviously go on and on about we only covered like two movies and we have more um, and we can go on, but we do have to wrap up pretty soon. Um, So like wrap up thoughts. I'm just curious, like 
we earlier talked about how there's so much packed into these three movies. We got so much out of just like the first two. And I'm curious about, you know, Dan, you mentioned about like rewatchability. I think we've all watched these movies so many times. Um, and I'm curious to know what everyone's kind of like habit around watching the first two. Like, do you want, do you have to, if you watch the first one, do you have to watch the second one or kind of do you do like backwards sometimes? Do you just watch snippets of it? Like, how do you go interact with these first two, two films? I'm, I think it's changed a lot. You know, I say that and now that I go to launch in what I was going to say, maybe that's not true. Um, I think that like, as much as they exist in a standalone, like I can watch like one in one evening and like not immediately need to start the next one, for example. Um, I do think it's really hard for me as a fan to start the trilogy and not finish it. Like that's happened very rarely. The notable exceptions that I can think about is if I feel like I've, um, because growing up I didn't have Two Towers. So like sometimes I might start at Two Towers because I felt like I watched Fellowship a lot. So it's like, Mm, I almost want to even out how much I've watched each of the movies. But I think for me, because they're such a comfort watch, like what I did over the past few days was I watched all three over, I think, the span of a week, just kind of like starting and stopping as my schedule allowed. And so it was sort of, it's almost like a season of television, like where it's this cohesive thing. So I can pick it up at any point and know where I am and be immediately oriented but it does feel like I for the most part kind of need to complete the the trilogy it is hard to start and then not to not continue I in, in my mind fellowship is just such a beautiful um I've used the word beautiful a lot in this podcast um but it, it's such a uh, I can watch fellowship and feel quite satisfied um just in itself it's my favorite movie of the three I just think it's such a really wonderful introduction to the world of of Tolkien and you see so many different settings and I think Peter Jackson really sets it up so well in in building the grandness um the grandeur of middle earth um you see so much in that movie um it really leaves you begging for more but for me it kind of and i think part of it's also i love that soundtrack for the first movie as well it's just a perfect snapshot of all that makes lord of the rings so wonderful and so i i find myself often going back to the first one is there like a season in particular like is it a cozy season kind of watch for you or is it like any time of the year I'm ready if somebody throws it on I'm in I think it's definitely a cozy season movie I mean I'll watch it whenever I argued it was a Christmas movie recently only because I think I associate it given the movies I think came out in and around the holidays but perhaps cozy season movies more appropriate but yeah oh my god I'll, I'll watch it whenever I mean one of the beauties about these movies is that I find that they're often shown in theaters or like in parks or wherever um and so it's always like another sort of moment to go back and and watch them again in a different place i agree i think i tend to turn to them more in the january february time because i think like to me i know they did come out in and around christmas most years but I think to me, they are like a, when I'm not busy with other things is when I kind of enjoy them the most. Like I find the holiday season can be a little bit distracting and maybe I want to watch like, they're a little bit less holiday timely to me. So I might want to like focus more on that. But I think in like Feb and Jen, when I'm like just wanting to get out of the house and can't because it's so awful here. <laughs> this is something that kind of comforts me when I'm feeling like I just want to 
I don't like what's going on right now. I just don't like the state of things. Then this kind of calms me down a little bit. I do find sometimes when I watch them without the extended edition, because that's just like what's available to me sometimes, I will immediately finish the trilogy and be like, I really wish that I watched the extended editions. Should I go back <laughs> and find those instead? <laughs> I do that a lot. Um, or when I was a kid, I would finish the movie <laughs> and then I would watch it back, but with cast commentary. Amazing. The whole new movie. The whole new movie. It is. So much behind-the-scenes info. My favorite was Return of the King. Andy Serkis did it, but as Smeagol and Gollum, not as himself. Oh, my God. Wow. It was oh, my gosh. perfect. <laughs> Sign yeah. me up. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Return of the King, like, clearly we couldn't fit all that in into this episode, um, but we will get into it into the next one. So Exciting! <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so we're, um, because this is coming out so close to Christmas and we wanted to kind of end the year with a bang, um, we're doing an accelerated schedule. So part two will be out next week um, and a nice little way to wrap up 2022. Um, in the meantime, you know where to find us. We are at Popcorn Martini Soup on Instagram or you can send us an email, popcornmartinisoup at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Yeah, and Ace and Dan will be back with us. Woo-hoo. So tune in next week. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. See you guys.